just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Next Level Guy Show podcast. Today's guest is Eric Davis. He's a retired sniper, Navy SEAL and military instructor. Today he utilizes his military skills to teach guys how to achieve their life mission, build a strong brotherhood and build their own habits of heroes. Next Level Guy is in partnership with some awesome companies. To see the latest deals, special offers and listener exclusives, please go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. That's www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. And now to the interview. We're in a lift. We've got 30 seconds between floors. How would you describe who you are? Oh, I just, I'm a, I'm a writer. That's my my default, de facto answer. At the core of it all, uh, probably even more so than being a SEAL, uh, answering that question with I'm a writer is never felt, nothing's ever felt as uh, such a good fit as that one. Because um, I've noticed that you're a very masculine guy. You know, you do some amazing stuff. You've got such a built-up history. But what is your definition of masculinity? Do you think we've forgotten how to be what you consider real men? You know, that's a good one. So by by definition, masculinity is defined by our culture, uh, and that becomes a problem because culturally speaking we don't necessarily do very well with that. You know, usually cultural will define something based off of a single lifetime. There's no, there's no history. There's no collective knowledge. And so I find that to be very, very broken. Uh, I find current masculinity to be a lot of posturing, um, a lot of uh, hiding emotion, a lot of not being real, uh, and it does not work. So I would define masculinity, and you'll hear me say this a lot, masculinity is truly about identifying that which matters in life and then figuring out how to master it and then lead others to do the same. And there's obviously a lot to all that, but at the core, at the foundational level, that's how I see it. So is that your definition of what would make a man successful if they do that? Or have you got other criteria that you would judge if somebody was a success in their life? That is absolutely my criteria. Uh, that's a lot of the work that I do uh, with the people that I do work with. Uh, that's where success comes from. You know, success comes from identifying the, the pieces, the fundamental pieces to life. And there's a lot of them. Right? I mean, there's not a lot of them on the big 30,000 foot view. But when you dive into these things like health or money or spirituality, you know, then there's uh, sub elements, right? Another hundred. And then the sub elements of the sub elements, like there's a lot to it. Um so I believe that's where success comes from because it doesn't matter uh, if you're a, a rock and roll musician. You're still going to have to deal with the other elements of life. And, uh, you know, I saw this very early on when I was looking for mentors and I was and I came out of the military and the SEAL teams and I was like, OK, I need to put myself in a position where I can succeed. Let me find these guys on the outside who are doing it. And I couldn't really find any of them. 
Like they weren't there because they didn't have it all. I could find guys who made a lot of money, but they were out of shape, right? I can find guys who are really good shape and had kind of an adventurous lifestyle and did all this cool stuff, but they were nowhere near their, you know what I mean? Nowhere around their kids. They weren't spending any time with their family. Like, so there was always this imbalance, so to speak. Um, and that's just not true success. People, people oversimplify what success is. So why do you think, um, you know, I heard you mention on another podcast about what the concept of real power is in a man. Um, you know, so why do we hold on to these things of like drinking, smoking, swearing, tattoos as an example of what a man is in today's society? You know, I think a lot of those, there's two different things there, right? Some of them are culturally accepted of as what a man is in society, but, you know, like drinking and things like that, I wouldn't say that's what defines a man in today's culture. I would say that's what happens to a man in today's culture. And here's what I mean. This is actually the core of what the work I do, I'm doing this year and the book I'm writing this year. Um, we, we were bred, right? You know, many, many, many thousands and thousands of years we were out hunting and fighting and, and doing all of those things. And then our culture evolved faster than our biology can. Now we're stuffed behind computers and in cubicles and things like that. And one of the things that you do when you're not living out that which for that which you were bred for is you start trying to self-soothe yourself, self-medicate. So I, you got to break those two things. So a lot like drinking and even aggression, um, obsessive compulsiveness, overworking, I don't think those are driven from like, hey, this is what a man's supposed to do. I think those are the results of a man not doing what they were bred to do, and those are the side effects. Does that make sense how I said that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, From personal experience and from speaking to friends, you know, they sort of self-medicate. They know they should be doing something, and they've got that drive, but they don't know how to fulfill it. So they just want to sit and drink away the feelings. And it's about – this is the concept of a mission – um, like you would have in the military is this the, um, the kind of thing that you work with your like clients and stuff to get them to have a focus in life absolutely that's one of the core things that i do um so i have uh, what i did this year is I, I made a big pivot i came out of my corporate roles and i formed what's called a strategic training group it's a seven-man group and basically what i'm doing is taking them through those things to redefine manhood, to, to define our mission. And here's why that's important. You got to have that mission uh, really dialed in and defined. Otherwise, all the things that we need to do, like just become hard things to do or pieces of work or things we don't necessarily want to do. And that's how we end up on the couch drinking beer, watching TV, because we didn't actually have a true mission. We were just kind of going to work to make some money and maybe have some good times on the weekend. And that really stumps a lot of guys because they're not after anything big enough to overcome their kind of uh, adherence to maybe some laziness and recreational uh, drug use or alcohol use, which is a drug. I mean, um, I discovered about you, about, you know, that you were a former sniper and, you know, that you used to take on some real life dangerous missions. So could you go into a little bit about what your role in the army was, you know, and how it changed you, how you viewed the world? Um, the kind of things you learn from being in the military? Yeah, I would say at the core, when I when I look at the military and I and I think, okay, how did it change me? How did it, you know, uh, change like the way I live life now? You know, what what what's it done to me? I would say, if I were to if I were to sum it up, bring it all the way down to a thing, is I learned this. There's a saying out there called 
talking about learning on within the other side of complexity. Uh, it's Oliver Wendell, uh, Oliver Wendell says, I would not give a fig to live this side of complexity, but I'd give my life to live on the other. And what that means is anything we do in, in the SEAL teams, we do until we become a master of it. And that's another way of saying living on the far side of complexity. Things are as simple, if not more simple, but you've done the work. You've identified all the things that mattered, and you've mastered them. You've put processes and practices until they became your intuition and habit. And that is the biggest thing I've taken away from the military because now inside of an entrepreneur world, as a writer, uh, consulting for different people on you know some odd and amazing projects – it's that ability right there is to say, okay, there's going to be a lot of things going on here. I'm going to process it and master it rather than react to it and let it take me out. And that's been the biggest takeaway, the biggest thing I've taken out of the military. And is that the sort of thing that you miss, you know, but when you've brought that into your own life, but is there anything that you, you sometimes crave, you know, is it the danger or are you quite glad that you're now into, you've left and started a family, et cetera? As far as what I miss, it it's definitely will come down to the brotherhood, and I mean true brotherhood, having very particularly uh, unique and loyal people around you with unique skill sets and, and the same orientation to mastery. Uh, that was the hardest part. I, I found uh, after I'd gotten out, there had been a few years where I'd slowly detached from that uh, and affected the way I performed. It affected the way I lived life. Uh, that was one of the biggest things. Again, so much that that's part of the reason – a big, big reason I formed that group to work with this year is I, I needed to make sure I had enough brotherhood around me and enough brotherhood around the guys that I'm working with so we can really kick ass in life and dominate and have a good time. People don't understand truly the power that comes from being in a brotherhood like that. It's, it's one human being plus one human being equals like 50 human beings when you're inside of a highly functioning team like that. And that's what I miss the most. But now I'm rebuilding that uh, in my life as well as in the life of others so I'm bringing that back and uh, loving doing that no, and you, you can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about it you know every time I've seen you mention about the brotherhood the you know the boat group etc you can see the passion and desire and um, it's something I was very interested in because I want to build that kind of life myself so for people who are listening you know what do you think non-military men can take from that kind of lifestyle is there like is it the discipline is it the routine what can somebody who's never been in the military learn from a military person to better their life uh, you know i wouldn't say learn from a military person i would say learn from the military process you know because individuals uh, you know, just because you're in the military, you might have been exposed to the process, have been in the process, but most people won't have been witting to it. They won't know what was really going on at the time, and most won't look back to figure it out. I, I've only done it because it's my job to do it, so I study and look at it. Um, so I, I, I think how you how you, how you can approach that, like, all right, what what are those lessons learned from the military? And I'd say that's it again. I'm going to come back to those processes, traveling through complexity. Um, mastering things, producing standard operating procedures in your life. Like when we talk about manhood, think about this. Like a McDonald's drive-thru uh, employee, I guarantee if we'd go in there, we'd find a binder that would spell out their roles and responsibility, right? Yeah. Like McDonald's takes it that seriously, the cheeseburger sales. But I can ask any man, I've asked it many, many times. No one's ever said yes to this. But I'm, I'd say, where's your roles and responsibility as a man, as a father? Show me it on paper. 
Show me it anywhere, in crayon, on a chalkboard, back of a napkin. People don't take their roles seriously. So in the military, because it's life or death, we tend to take things more seriously. So we'll document these things. We'll evolve these things. We'll reference back to those things because they're important, and we know that they're important. But think how important your role is as a father, as a husband, as a bread, breadwinner, whatever it is. They're equally as important. The consequences just don't come as fast. So what somebody can learn from the military is to take your role seriously, or at least as seriously as somebody working at McDonald's selling cheeseburger. Like, I, it, it, it's just once you think about it this way, it's insane to try to operate in this dynamic and complex environment as a man without having at least something written down, <laughs> you know what I mean, as far as your plan to do it. Yeah. That's what I'd say to take away. I've never understood that, how people can just go day to day with no plan, no structure, no process to do things, you know. Me, my job is so complicated before, before I even start because there's so many processes, so many things, so many signatures, all these kind of things. And you have to have a goal, you know, and that's what I liked about your idea of a mission, you know, it's like having a mission in life. So how should somebody start working towards that? How is it just writing down processes for how they're going to deal with certain situations? Or could you go into a little bit about how you'd work with somebody to fix that? Sure. So the first thing to get really, really clear on when I, you know, when I ask them like, hey, what is it you're after? Like, what do you want in life? Uh, so I have to address this. The most common answer is like, I want freedom. And as soon as I hear someone tell me they want freedom, I know they're broke. I know they, I know that they've <laughs> just been beaten down. That's like, that is the weakest mission possible because we're already free, especially if you're living in America, right? There, you got freedom. That jail cell door was closed by the individual so that they don't have to try or change or do something different. So the very first thing is to realize that freedom is no mission. Freedom is just a starting point. That's just, that's just our first step into a blank patch of dirt in front of us. So they got to get past that. That's, too, that's a victim's mentality. Like, I want to be free. And like, okay, is somebody holding you back? Is what's, oh, yeah, I, my job's holding me back. I'm like, okay, did you not pick that job? Come on. You know, so you got to start there. And then the second thing is you, you can't do this stuff alone. There is way you want to talk, you know, talk about masculinity. One of the most poisonous things inside of our cultural definition of masculinity is this do-it-yourself mentality. It's like a thing now, DIY, and it's ridiculous. You cannot compete. You cannot do anything great. We don't, as individuals, have enough courage or confidence or craziness inside of us to really have a big-ass mission that drives everything we do. So I'm going to come back to brotherhood. You'll see there's a few four or five things that I'll circle around like I'm in a circular room because they touch every aspect of our life. So if someone wants to truly define their mission, they've got to put a brotherhood. It could be a sisterhood too. You just change it out. They got to they got to put a brotherhood around them. Somebody that understands this. Somebody that's after the same things. I'm not talking friends that you go and grab some beers with and have fun with. Most of your friends are probably idiots, not yours in particular. But for the most part, our friends are just the people who are around us that we can tolerate or have some fun with. And there are some deep relationships people have with their friends, but it's different than a brotherhood because there's no purpose in a friendship except for just to be friends, which is a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. So you've got to become part of a group. Somebody's got to lead that group. Somebody's got to coach that group. You've got to take it as seriously as a Pop Warner football team or a high school soccer team, right? You've got to put structure around it and do work together to define that mission because you're not just going to come up with it on your own. If you do, you're going to regurgitate something from some books you read or some movie you watched. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So how to get that started is to enter a group of people who are after the same thing and are willing to produce the commitments to get there. 
Because there's a lot of people who just can't even commit and make it on a group phone call once or twice a month. It's incredible because they're running around with their heads cut off, busy as can be reacting to all the situations because they don't have processes or standard operating procedures and they're not taking their life seriously. Yeah, because you see that there's a there's a, world, a massive difference between being busy and being effective. You know, we a lot of people just want to keep going so they don't need to think about anything. They don't need to really analyze what's happening or how unfulfilled they feel. So they'd rather just keep themselves busy, you know, just watching TV, going to the work, going to the gym. Um, and how can somebody start working towards building those friends? Is it, do you look for like groups of uh, mindfulness or do you look to learn new skills in the area that you want to develop or... You know, how can somebody start developing that brotherhood? That's a tough one. So our natural inclination is to like, okay, I got to look for or find these this group. Uh, yes, they are out there, but I think they're very, very few and far between. So the idea of looking for and finding them is very, very difficult. So another way to look at it is I need to produce this group. I need to create this group. Um, and that's when you intentionally define it. And you intentionally talk to people. You intentionally enroll them. <laughs> you know what I mean? you got to sell them into your own group. You really do. That's why sales is a fundamental thing. you got to inspire people to come. Um, and it's a very difficult thing to do. I literally had to write a book, get thousands and thousands and thousands of followers and email lists, create a philosophy, put it together, and build the team, build that brotherhood from scratch. I interviewed people for almost 30 days. Just to pick, you know, I do seven man groups. So I tell people, I'm like, okay, I spent 30 days interviewing the other six guys. And that's after having been in the, uh, uh, in the Navy, Marine Reconnaissance, SEAL, SEAL Sniper Instructor, SEAL Instructor. I mean, that's a lot of experience and time. Uh, so it's a very, very difficult thing to do. So yeah, either find one that's out there, really difficult. I don't know of any, uh, or produce one. I know that's not super, <laughs> it's not like super inspiring, but it's you're up against it. And the good groups, here's the thing, and if there are brotherhoods out there that are kicking ass, they're not looking for anyone. They're not after anyone. You know, they're doing their thing. Uh, so that's uh, probably one of the greatest challenges I think men face today is finding or producing that. Yeah, I mean, it's something I'm learning. I used to think that just by moving to a new city or a new job and it would fix all the problems, and it doesn't really. You've got to build the life that you want. And you mentioned there that, you know, there's a lot of skills that you need about, like, how to network, how to resource things, um, you know, like how to sell sell yourself and the, the group mentality, etc. So what do you think are the skills that a man needs to know? You know, what? because you do some amazing things with your kids, you know, teaching them fire starting courses, how to escape being tied underwater, all these kind of amazing things. What are the essential things you think a man needs to know? Uh, I guess it depends. I'm just thinking, I think there's different levels inside of this conversation, right? There's brotherhoods you'd form and be part of when you're trying to get yourself from kind of zero to like, okay, now I'm quote unquote, culturally speaking, successful, you know, making enough money where I've got some space and some power to do something big. And then there's that next level, like, all right, I've done well. Um, now, instead of serving my career first and my life second, I'm going to define my life and then build a career around it. Um, so I think there's two what I'm what I'm pointing at there's really two levels uh, to look at. So I would say on the first level uh, is to be pragmatic, to be the person. <laughs> this is the rub, right? So you need to you need to start off by being the person 
at least the first version of the person that you would want to be in a group like this to excel as that person, if that makes sense. So you've mm-hmm. got to you got to like self start on your own um, because that's what's going to have you become attractive to the group, and that's also going to help. That's also how you're going to figure out what this group needs to look like because you'll be like, okay, I'm up against some things, and here are the things I need help with that I'm going to need other people around me to do. So that is first and foremost is to be the at least the first version of self uh, that you're looking for inside of this group. And then the second piece, I'm just going to leave it to two pieces right here, is you've got to come out of that busy mentality. Uh, forming a brotherhood, it takes time. And, and the time pays off. It just doesn't pay off right away. It doesn't pay off that week. But you know, over six months and a year, the payoff is uh, multiples. It's 20-fold. It's just a huge amount of payoff. But you've got to be able to invest a little time. You've got to be available. Right, I'll talk to guys that I know are hurting or are stuck in their career or they're stuck in their levels of fitness or they're miserable or not having fun. And I'm like, okay, you know, let's go do this. And like, oh, I can't because I'm miserable and I'm, you know what I mean? They've got themselves pinned. That's, those are the guys that want freedom. Like, well, you've, you know what I mean? You got to step out the door to get the freedom. Uh, so you got to accept that. It takes time. You have to build those relationships. So it'd be those two things I'd really have someone look at. Be the self, at least the first version uh, that you want the group to help you with, and then you've got to be be available. That's the next one. So become the person that you actually want to meet outside. So that's a very good answer. You know, it, it took me a long time to realize that, not as maybe as concisely as you've worded it, but it made me, I really struggled with that as become the person that I wanted to attract to be, you know, to become like, um, so something I struggled with while I was doing this was failing, you know, trying different things and then not liking it or not succeeding at it. And I really struggled with the failure or the feeling of loneliness, etc. How can somebody overcome, you know, get mentally strong to build the brotherhood is there something that you learned during your times in the military or since then, you know, that's maybe taught you how to deal with failure and learn from it and bounce back? Sure. And the SEAL teams, something we would, one way to describe it is that we celebrate failure. You, if you're not failing, that means you're not doing anything beyond yourself. Um, I, ha- I don't feel like I hear it much anymore because I think I speak so hard <laughs> against it. But every once in a while, I hear someone say that failure is not an option or that I don't fail. Like, okay, well, <laughs> then you're not. Then you're done. You're you're <laughs> exactly who you are today. You'll never be any better because it's like going to the gym, right? If you don't go to muscle failure, you they don't tear down and they don't build up. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I would say what you're looking for there, if we're gonna you know simplify for the for the moment for the sake of a conversation, is confidence. So doing things, confidence isn't like, I know I can do something because I've done it before. Confidence is like, okay, I know I can do this thing because I've done things that I couldn't do before. And this is just another thing that I can't do yet, but I'll be able to do it. And confidence comes from learning new things. So there's a lot of people, actually a bulk of the population that doesn't study anymore, that doesn't train and learn new things. They go to college, they get their job, they learn their job, and then that's it. They don't push themselves anymore. They aren't in constant learning. And then they wonder why they get so busy because the the competition in the world is always learning and evolving. So now their skill sets, their propensities, their knowledge base is all becoming stale. And then they have to start working harder. And it sneaks up on you so they do not know. 
so that idea of failure is you got to always be learning something new. So like I train in jujitsu. I like to learn to fly airplanes, which is like something I, I'm in and out of all the time. But I'm always trying, you know, trying something new. I went and boxed British SAS guys that I was never a boxer before last November. I, I'm always learning. So if the marketplace shifts, if my if the writing or online world pivots or I need to take on a new role as a consultant, it's not like some dramatic thing for me where I now like, oh my gosh, I have to start learning new things and break out of my mold. I just put that in the rack, right? And say, oh, that's what I'm going to learn next. Uh, it's a very powerful orientation. That's where all the confidence comes from because you're like, okay, yeah, I, that's what I do. Not, whatever challenge presents itself, I'm always peaking. I'm always overcoming challenges or going through them. That's what I do. No, I really like that kind of change in mindset. You know, rather than being the victim, work don't like you know develop a habit of a hero, as you'd say. Um, so, how can somebody start doing that? Is it a tried and test? Is it just go for it, fail, and just get back up again, or? You know, is there a strategy that you'd maybe implement with a client or something like that? Yeah, it's doing things. It's doing new things. Uh, I The beginning, how do you get start? You know, if you're like, okay, how do you get started? Uh, this How to start is to become an observer. Like, okay, go learn something. I don't care if it's sailing, free fall parachuting, diving in the ocean. I don't fly in an airplane, um, you know, do something. Climbing, go learn something new that you don't do. And be an observer. Like, okay, where did I fail today? Look for the failures and celebrate them. Like, okay, now what can I learn from those failures? Now tomorrow when I go back and do it again, here's what I'm going to be looking to do. You know, like, okay, here's 10 things I didn't do right or wasn't effective. Tomorrow I'm going to make these modifications and then observe it again. Like, all right, those 10 things out of the 10, four of them, four of my ideas worked. The other six did not work, so let me modify it again. Uh, you just got to be in that process. So I'd say the starting point, though, is to be an observer. And, I mean, that sort of leads us on towards, like, you know, observing, learning, knowing when to act and when to react. So during your time as a sniper, you know, you must have learned a lot of skills on things about knowing when to take the shot, knowing when to judge the risk, and how, you know, how did you develop the calmness and the inner faith in yourself to deal in those kind of terrifying situations you know when bullets are flying and you know where does that level that calmness come from training it's a perfect segue from what we were just talking about it's there's a saying that we don't fall back or we don't rise to the occasion. We fall back on our training. It's like Archaeolus or I, I can't say it, I'm not going to pronounce it right. It's in the bottom of all my emails and, um, because that's all we can do. And it goes back to what I just said. Try something new, fail, experience it, do it. You know what I mean? And then when things are going, when things are getting stressful and, and, and you're in the moment, you're just going to fall back on your training. It. It's really, it's one of those things, as soon as I say it, because it's so fundamental, it's so true, it's so real, everyone would be like, yeah, of course. And then there's, a, but the problem is people will listen to that in a certain way. They'll be like, okay, yeah, of course, I know that now. And they'll be like, no, you don't know that. Like, you understand what I'm saying. You know, you understand the concept of not rising to the occasion, but falling back to your training. But you really only know it as if you know you're, if you're training every day. <laughs> you know, like, like that's the difference. Like don't, if people will get pacified. Like, okay, cool. I got that new information. I heard this podcast and like, oh, I feel better now that I know that. And it's like, no, you don't know that. You just got what I was saying. 
so to truly go out and train, I'll become an expert at becoming an expert. And when the moment happens, you're, it's like when I publicly speak or, 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 or do something like that, where I'm out of, you know, I'm like, I don't stress about it because I'm like, okay, to prepare for this required 10 years. And, and for the last 10 years, I did the work. Is that, you know, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's that, that's the, the, the work was done over 10 years. So it's that analogy. When's the best time to plant an oak tree? It's, it's 10 years or I think that's goes 20 years ago or today. Start right now today training every day to become an expert at becoming an expert. Train in what you're an expert in. Train at what you're, what you're going to be good at. And when the moments come, you're going to fall back on that. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you're in the gym and you're you know, pushing up a big heavy squat. If you're thinking about it, you don't, you're never going to succeed. But if you just let your body go into the natural, you know, the 10,000 reps you've done before, just let it happen. And it's, you know, fall back on your skills, fall back on your experience. And I think it's something that we really struggle with because a lot of times we're not in a situation where we need to learn how to be good at things. So do you think things like working out in the gym and training, you know, like sports and competition, are things like that good for us to do as men? Yes, but for a different reason. So you had said a lot of times we're not in a situation where we need to get become good at something or something new. I would say we're always in that situation. We're not often aware of it. Okay. So that's, you know, it's a powerful, we are in that situation because right now, somebody up for, for think of your, your role, somebody else who does a podcast right now is studying and reading how to do a better podcast, how to market it better, right? Like it's happening right now the, 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 in technology and the information, it's out there. I just taught a group of financial advisors how to perform at superhuman levels. I've saw, I've seen books where they describe stuff like that. I don't know of anyone who can actually break it down and teach like, here's how you perform at a superhuman level. And why it's important is because I think how people will listen to it is like, oh, that would be nice to perform at a superhuman level someday. But what I would say is like, well, if I just taught it once or I taught it six different times, that means I'm going to teach it again. And right now, everybody's competition is Google research. You know, right now, most of the competition out there we're dealing with when we're, you know, not at the very, very top is a whole bunch of people Googling free information online and consuming it and then inventing and designing with it. But now, as of last week, when I got done with those talks, there are now people out there who have the knowledge and information to perform like a superhuman. That's going to be your new competition. So it's important for people to understand that we are in that situation. We just might not realize it. And again, the signs and symptoms look like busyness, insufficient savings, not making enough money, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so I got a little sidetracked there, though. That was like the precursor to me answering your question. Tell me the question again, so I can. I'm gonna. No, <laughs> I'm gonna no. answer it specifically. I, no, I thought that was a great answer. I mean, so how can how can we utilize that kind of you know thoughts and way of looking at life? Um, say if you've got a job that you're in an office, you're not really being challenged, but you want to start becoming a man of adventure and you know, learning these skills and developing yourself, how can we get, like, how can we find that environment? Is it just getting the people to be with us or would you say compete um, in a judo competition or, you know, should you just take up a sport like American football or something along that, along that lines? 
So first I would be, I would address that not being challenged. So if someone's in a job and like, yeah, I'm not being challenged, I'd say, okay, great. So that means you've already earned, saved and invested enough like for life. So that's an important one. People are sitting around with not enough savings and the day is going to come where they can no longer work and they're just not even paying attention. So, so when I hear like, Hey, I'm not being challenged at work. I'm like, okay, great. So you've already saved like what? 5 million. Like, what are we, you know what I mean? Like where are we, you're already there. Right. So you, you, you gotta, you gotta have a, it's a, it's a no joke game. It's very difficult to produce that much money. So that's my first thing. Um, now here's the cool thing. When I teach superhuman performance, First, first, it does start with some pragmatism, you know, going through process and, and dialing life in. And one of those things would be like, all right, I got to identify how much money I do need to make so that I can save enough for the, when the time comes, I can no longer work kind of thing. Now, then there's the challenge like, crap, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to do to do that. Now, that man of adventure, that different kind of lifestyle, that's part of the formula. Well, you need to get out. Believe it or not, you need to get out, have some fun. You need to rock climb. You need to skydive, fly some airplanes around. You know, do some really, really cool stuff because it's going to elevate your perspective on that situation of not making enough money or not being challenged at work or not being in the role that you want. And again, it starts with an awareness. I liked, I love saying this on social media. I love talking about this when I teach uh, hiking, flying airplanes, driving a supercar around a racetrack. Those are not things that we do after we've done a good job as a reward. Those are the ingredients of the good job. It's a complete paradigm shift. People don't reward themselves and travel and relax and go running and paddleboarding or surfing and sky, you know, all those things. They do it like oh, a reward for doing a, a well-done job, uh, and that's not it. It's backwards. Those are the ingredients. Those are what give you pieces that, that puts you into what's called a psychological state of flow. You start to observe things differently. You start to hit work in a more creative manner. It's not about working harder. It's about working at an elevated level and producing better results. No, I, I love you. I love the way that you look at life. You know, I find it so. Guys just get so used to just the same patterns, the same victim mentality. That it, I think a lot of people listening will find it difficult to to even apprehend, you know, it'll maybe take a couple of listens before it gets into their head. Um, so, what would you like guys listening just to do? You know, is there three things that you could tell them to do for, say, tomorrow to change their life to get towards this kind of mentality? Yeah, I'll go back to where we started, you know, masculinity and defining success. Um, and they need to identify what makes a good life. What are the elements, right? And they really are, they're definable on my website or any of the stuff I write about. I talk about them all the time. But you can, like, all right, here's the pieces of a good life. Just like, here's the pieces of a car. Uh, like, you can identify these things. And to live a good life, we need to identify them. We need to see them all. We need to make assessments. Okay, what's their status? How do they look today? And if I keep living like I'm living, how are they going to look 20 years from now? So the assessments need to be in today, today's horizon of time as well as in the futures. And then we need to prioritize those things. Like, okay, I can't do everything at once. That's too much at one time. I need to like, what are the three things I'm going to get dialed in and mastered and get put in place so that I have the time and energy and power to get the next three things? So we need to prioritize them, and then we need to be in constant execution. We can't be reading Facebook and all the idiotic checking our email more than once a day and all those things that we do because we're just getting pulled left and right, left and right. We need to say, okay, here are the things I need to handle. I've done the work. 
I've looked at everything in all of its totality. These are the things I need to handle right now. Let me stay on these until they get done. That's what I would tell everybody. Identify, assess, prioritize, and execute that which means or ma- that's that which matters in regards to living a good life. And then I believe our rule is to then after we get that is to lead other people to do the same. And then what a wonderful world we have. I love your positivity. Um, one of the things I was going to ask about was leadership. Now, when you were in the military, you took over the um, sniper school. You know, you completely revolutionized it you know you had decreased the amount of failure there etc what did that and what you're doing today teach you about leadership and what makes a good leader a couple things so when i was a sniper instructor i remember when i went through sniper school i was like or even any school in the teams i i was always dumbfounded i'm like man it seems like it's their first time teaching this now, our standards are so high, <laughs> so we turn out really good product, but it's it's not it wasn't necessarily because we were really good trainers. It's just we set really high standards, and the guys guys would f- figure out how to get to them or not. Uh, so, again, it, it comes down to that complexity. I started identifying, all right, what are all the things that go into a sniper becoming a sniper? I captured those things, and then I started to produce processes and practices from those so that we could predictably uh, and, and uh, consistently train positive results. Um, that, was, that was the biggest uh, piece right there. Uh, that is the key element. Um, to all all performances, knowing what to do, when to do, how to do it, and making sure you have the things that you need to do it. And what was the second part of the question? Like that's the beginning part. So I mean, how can how, what could you learn from it? Like you know, what advice would you give an aspiring leader? Or you know, is it how could you tell you know the people who weren't going to make it? Because SEAL training, etc., is really good at cutting the the weak ones to get the best of the best. So, you know, is it, do you just know deep down a person's not going to make it or do you look for, you know, how do you pick a strong team? Well, okay, okay, that's, so advice for leader picking a strong team, two separate pieces. So picking a strong team, uh, I would say, I won't say what's the best way to do it. I'll just say how the the SEAL teams do it is they have buds basically got a water demolition school for slash SEAL. And what they're doing is they're filtering for that strong team. So they're going to produce a series of events and obstacles and challenges over the period of many, 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 many months. And they're going to filter. I call it like cold water filtering. And those who come through the other side, 99.9% of them is that badass, highly functional team that you want. Uh, Now, my advice for leaders is to understand what leadership is, right? Leadership is something that ebbs and flows. It it pivots between people. The the leader is always the one with the best answer in the moment. You got to pull ego out of it. And if you want to be the one with the best answer in the moment, then what you're going to do is take today's efforts, capture them, go through them and debrief yourself and prepare yourself for tomorrow and have the best plan going forward. And that's what makes you a leader. And then you produce an environment where people make the right choices from there to get from point A to point B. Uh, so again, it's gonna. I'm gonna keep. I'll circle back around to that complexity thing. The leader is the one who's going through the complexity, understanding all the different elements, prioritizing, assessing, doing the studying, gaining new knowledge, gaining new information, so that tomorrow, as the challenge comes back onto the playing field, they'll say, "Okay, I've given this some thought. Here is the next step that I believe we need to take." And then a true leader is gonna even be a better follower because when someone says, "Up, oh, how about this next step?" and it sounds better. 
then you say, okay, we're going to do that too. So a true leader is not after being right, they're after being effective. And a lot of people might, who are listening might say, well, I don't need to lead. But, you know, if they're leading a family, if they're a father, you know, maybe a team at work or maybe just a, a group of guys going to the pub, for example. So how has being a father changed you since, you know, were you a father before you left the military or is it since you've come away from it? I was a father at a very, very young age. So I was 19 when I had my first uh, child and I've had four. Uh, just always grew up knowing that I wanted kids. So um, I think part of my religious background, I was in a culture where that's what you did. And I loved it. That's what I wanted to do. And I loved being a father ever since. Um, the when we're how, how it changes you for me i think also being young and and my dad having um not been able to be completely involved in my life because he got ill when i was younger it what it did is had me it it actually had me look at my role in life extremely it was like it became a life or death situation so becoming a father just up it didn't up the stakes of the game. It upped my awareness of the stakes. And that's actually one of those times where I'm like, okay, I've got to perform. I'm only 19 years old. I just joined the Navy. Like, this is going to be a very difficult task if I don't learn to dial this stuff in. Uh, so that's what, how being a father changed. It, it had me become aware of the high-stakes game that I was in. And you've got daughters and sons. Three daughters, one son. So how how have you found it different coming from you know sort of the macho environment of the seals to working with with daughters? You know, do you find those people who say girls play with dolls, boys play with games? I mean, I disagree with that. How do you look at raising boys against raising girls? Is the- well, I so I've had people watch me like teach somebody teach a child to swim in my my pool, and they. I've heard it more than one time where somebody would comment like, wow, you're so like, you're kind and patient. Like, I wouldn't think that from a seal. I can't believe how soft you were. You know what I mean? Like how, how nurturing you were through the process. And I, I remember like, it was curious to me, like, well, how else would you be? And I just realized again, our, our cultural definition of masculinity, you see football coaches, just idiots out there yelling at kids have no idea anything about human performance. And they think being it's in, disgusting to watch because it's so ineffective and the fallout that they're producing they don't see it on the field but those kids are going to experience for the rest of their life anyways my point being like this boys and girls are zero different zero difference in how you train them if you understand training at a fundamental level so you have what i like to call the next truth if you hold your fingers up like a little bit of a distance together and think okay if these were two powerpoints and i got them close enough a spark would form i call that the next truth and some people need a little bit more of a firm hand at the moment. Some people need a very light hand at the moment. Some people need to be loved and encouraged and hugged. Some people don't. And boys and girls, they're depending on where they're at, they're going to need some variety of all those things all the way through. Training and raising kids is the ultimate definition of not being right about being effective. So I always say you have to watch the human. Watch the human and how they respond to what you're doing and adjust accordingly. So if I'm looking patient and kind, that's because the situation and the person and the moment required it. I've literally been on the rocks with waves crashing on the rocks, my 10-year-old daughter getting scared. I'm talking to her about the definition of courage. I'm working her through the formula for producing courage at the moment. She's making progress. um, And then she's cried and I smacked her butt. Now, I, people would be like, they're going to call child protective services, but it's 
our relationship and everything like that. It wasn't a mean thing. It was like a whack. Hey, heads up. And she's like, oh, shoot. Okay. You know, it snaps her out of it. Um, and so she needed that at the moment. Sometimes she, knows, she needs me to be like, no, do this right now. Quit arguing with me. But most of the time, that's not what she needs. But I can do that because I've put it again, I've put in the work. I've been patient and kind. She loves learning from me. And sometimes she'll be like, okay, I needed that. Just drop it. Drop the hammer on me. Tell me what I need. Uh, so boys and girls are no different. And then here's why it's really, really important to get this right, too. So it used to be that, culturally speaking, men competed or were the hunters. And women, culturally speaking, held the kind of gatherer and nurturing role. And biologically speaking, we're still both uh, designed uh, ideally for those two different roles for the most part. But that's not how our culture works anymore. Women now have to compete on the same playing field as men. So you do girls a disservice if you raise them differently. So that used to work. Those are old operating systems of manhood. Those are all old operating systems of parenting. I'm the first generation of parents who've raised kids with the zero internet experiences when they were born, and then they transitioned into it. Then I have a second set of kids, quote unquote, my younger two. They were born straight into it. A very, 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 very different world than what we all grew up in. So it's a different, it's a different outcome. So you can't raise those little girls differently because you're going to cap them at the knees when they try to compete with men later yeah I, I completely agree i've always been very very against that mentality of girls should be taught differently to boys you know everybody should be raised the same given the same skills and the same kind of training and it's like you were mentioning earlier it's about learning the person you know it's leading from the front showing them how to do and it's like you were teaching your daughter not to deal with emotion, but to fall back on the experience and on the training. You know, you just sometimes need to be snapped back into that mentality. I don't know how it would have worked if you'd slapped a seal on the bum, but <laughs> it would be slightly different. <laughs> Same thing. You smack him in the head. Or, you know, and again, it's not a mean-hearted, physical uh, abuse kind of thing. It's a, like a clap or a, hey, wake up. And you said it perfectly. Her psychology had her gripped. She was gripped in psychology of fear and me just doing something out of the ordinary. And she didn't expect it. She looked back at me like she turned around. She's like, I'm about to choke you out because she does jujitsu too. <laughs> but she shook it off. She's like, oh, okay, I'm back. I'm back. Like, yeah, okay, you're awake. It's kind of like in the movies when they used to slap people when they get hysterical. It's the same idea. Uh, and you can do it all kinds of ways. You could go, hey, you could yell, you could clap, you can make a joke. But, you know, the situation, situation and terrain dictates is what we'd say. So what's your what's your opinion on women in the military? You know, if your daughters came to you and said, I wanted to join the military, as a father, would you be against that? Or do you think the military offers a lot of good things for a kid to go into? And, you know, how could somebody whose kid is joining the military, how can they prep them to succeed in that military life? It's kid dependent again. Like I really, really needed it. I had a lot of freedom when I was young from my dad getting sick and I didn't that freedom I I didn't handle it poorly, but I was going to handle it poorly. Like I could see like, okay, should I continue? My ability to handle this freedom is going to get not so good for me. Uh so some people need it. Um I don't I, I don't think I, I think with my with my kids if I have a preference, I would say I put my thinking and I'm not saying I'm not pragmatic about this. I'm not designing them to be in or out of the military. 
but I think what I want to do is I want them set. I want to set them up so that they don't need to be in the military. Like I needed to be there. They might choose to be there, but I'm working to set them up where they don't need to be there, meaning they could go and do other things and become successful, live happy and healthy without that discipline, without that rigor, without that launching point. Um, but that might not work. They might need it anyways. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just might need that thing anyway. So that's how I organize. So I'm, I'm trying to overshoot shoot past the military, but that doesn't mean that they won't want to be there. And then there's some patriotism to it where people choose to do it for other reasons. Um, so I don't have, I don't encourage it, nor do I discourage it. Uh, it was, I was just finding it interesting because some people who I showed the pictures to, they were saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't teach girls things like that, you know, like the how to skate being tied when they're underwater. And I just found that strange because when you're in that situation, it doesn't, life doesn't dictate if you're male or female. You know, you need to have those sort of skills. And how, you know, how can somebody that's listening, you know, unfortunately terror events are happening all the time. How can people start being a bit more prepared and being themselves and learning these kind of skills to survive if something bad does actually happen? Um, so first thing is to realize, so here's a couple, I'm just going to give you like some sound bites. Um, the chances of anything bad happening to you, getting attacked or a terrorist event or anything like that are slim to none. But the chances of getting through your entire life without anything like that happening are probably zero. Does that make sense? (laughs) It really is slim to none, but try going a whole lifetime without anything bad happening. Something's out there for you, most likely. So it makes sense to be prepared. Now, I've written some articles on... uh, you know, be prepared for adventure. And there's this prepper mentality out there. And I, you know, I'll poke fun of them like I would any other group just in, you know, teasing for fun. You know what I mean? Like, um, but, but I look at it a little bit differently. Uh, I like to prepare for adventure, meaning I like the prepper stuff because it gives me missions and things to kind of focus on. But I'm really doing it so that my truck is packed for six people for three days so we can head off into the mountains or the woods. And I'm not putting myself in a survival situation, but I'm surviving and thriving because I I do all that. So there's one piece to it. If we were designed and bred to hunt and fight, then training and fighting and jujitsu and shooting and martial like all that stuff is good. It's the fastest way for us to care for our internal soul, so to speak. Right. And we don't have to do it with the intent of like someone's going to boogeyman's going to attack me in the parking lot. Um, But we can also understand like, yep, something's probably going to happen where I'm going to need to care for myself. And here's why it's important not to be a victim, because every time we're a victim, if we leave our car open and somebody steals something, it's like feeding the birds. So every time these turds who take advantage of people or steal things or whatever, it's like they got reinforced, they got rewarded for it, and it's just like feeding the birds at the zoo or at a restaurant, then a whole bunch more show up, and they never, ever go away. So I think there's also a social responsibility to not be in a victim. I think when people allow themselves to be victimized, they are actually doing – if you want to say what's my contribution to the safety of other people, that's it. Don't be a victim because you're not encouraging it. That would be the minimal dose right there is to not be a victim. And then here's the other thing. You develop the, that confidence that people are after. Sometimes you, you use the word swagger. Uh, that is a way to get it. It's when you're not walking through a dark parking lot or some shady area – Swagger shows up when you stop looking for threats and you start looking for targets. 
you go out and learn how to shoot and defend yourself really well. If you have an experience, as anyone who's listening, go do that. Even just a day class, could, if it's a good class, there's a lot more crappy than there are good. But you'll go get gas and step outside your car or walk around the mall or walk into the boardroom feeling like, man, I got a little something here behind me. And that confidence that it produces is so valuable in life. Uh, and then you don't look like a victim either. And that's another way to stop <laughs> most threats is don't look like you're vulnerable. Uh, so there's just a few things to think about there. I think there's a social responsibility there. I think it's good for our soul. It's the fastest way to kind of care for that which we are bred for. And then there's a very practical, confidence-producing thing that spills over to all kinds of areas in our life um, uh, that produces well-being. Because that's what always puzzles me is, you know, you get these people who assume it's going to happen to me, so why bother? Or you get those people who put themselves in such dangerous situations and you know, then you have the ones who are mass hysteria about terror events. And, you know, for most people, it's going to be you might get mugged or somebody th steal something. But, you know, it's how you react to it. And it's like you were saying, prepare for things. So, I mean, are things like mixed martial arts, judo, is, are these the sort of things guys should be going into to give them that confidence? Or would you recommend, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu or SEAL training kind of martial arts? Or it, it depends a little bit. So I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, big fan of Gracie Barra, uh, wonderful institution. Uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it takes a long time to learn. Um, there are other things you can learn that have you become effective at self-defense pretty darn fast, as large, at least on the surface or, you know, at the, at the get-go. Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I believe, obviously I'm there. Uh, I think it's one of the most effective ways to defend yourself. Uh, I like the mixed martial arts aspect because you mix some boxing or Thai boxing or something like that. You've got yourself a really good package. Now, uh, people are going to argue this, obviously. They're like, no, no, this is better, like blah, blah, blah. Like, well, here's the thing. The turds that are out there mugging and threatening people, they're not training in martial arts. So, yes, there could be a better system. It, <laughs> you know what I mean? We can argue that all day long. Mm -hmm. But I've been at it for many, many years, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, for a year and a half now straight. And if, if I needed to deploy that on the street, the, the kind of person who I'm going to need to deploy that against is probably an idiot. They're, no, no, it is an idiot, <laughs> not disciplined and not training. Because if they were, they would just go get a job, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's my take on what to train in. Uh, so at the end of the day, I'd say find something enjoyable that you like, that's easy to do, that's close to your house, whatever it is, because you're going to be better off than somebody who's not training. Now, uh, back to the why you do it, um, I would say first and foremost is it's going to care for your soul, care for who you are as a man. Again, if, we were, if you accept the idea that we spent thousands and thousands of generations hunting and fighting for our food – and only just a few generations ago, when we came into the agrarian world and industrial revolution, then now in the knowledge-based economy, did that go away? So if you can accept like, man, why do I feel like I'm burning up inside and I want to drink tonight? Why do I feel like I want to go ahead and take all that prescription med pain medicine when I'm not actually hurt? You know what I mean? Like, If you're like, why is that happening? I would say, look at doing stuff like this because why it's happening is you're not caring for that which you're bred for. They call it zoocosis is what gave me the idea for the book. They talked about the bipolar bear that was out on 50,000 acres 
hunting inside of Alaska or however it all worked. And then now they're down in like a five-yard enclosure. And that's why you see these carnivores pacing back and forth and doing what they call self-mutilated behaviors, chewing on their paw and all these things because they're like something's going – you know what I mean? They're shaking. They're like something's wrong. I'm, you know, And that's what it is. They're not living for which they are bred to live. I would say primarily that's why we do it is to be happy, healthy, and whole. Secondarily would be confidence. And then third would be that you're not going to get through an entire lifetime without nothing happening to you. And here's maybe actually inside of that confidence is so I had a stalker. And everyone's like, you're a SEAL, for God's sakes. Why don't you kick his ass? I'm like, well, you, you can't do that because you get sued, and, and he doesn't deserve it. He's a human being as well. He's got problems, obviously. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to make the right choices. I had to, you know, I had to pay a lawyer lots and lots of money. Restrain, you know what I mean? There's, I, it was slow as smooth, smooth as fast. I played the long game to get this thing dealt with. right? I didn't want to just react and go try to physically confront him. I had to play the long game to get it dealt with appropriately, um, but I was able to do that. And I was talking to my son and explaining to him what I was doing because I had no, I had no, I had confidence. I'm like, I'm a seal for God's sake. I don't, I'm not worried about. Am I scared to fight him? You know what I mean? That's not messing with my mind. Be like, okay, of course I can physically deal with him, but I need to deal with him, deal with him. So that's another reason too. You stop posturing. You stop doing all the bullshit men do that just get in the way. And you can start being real with yourself and with others and get things done. I love that answer. You know, it's the thing about the animals, you know, as humans, um, we have the ability to think on a sort of higher level, whereas an animal just reacts. Um, you know, it's a different, like, there's three different brains, like the lizard brain, the animal brain, and the human brain. And humans, we can hide that. We can ignore it, you know, make up some story in our heads, use alcohol and drugs. So it goes back to that kind of thing of the mission you want in life. Um, can you, you were mentioning there about your articles and your books. Um, can you give me a little bit about what your books are and why people should read your latest book, Raising Men? So I have Raising Men, the book book, and then I just did a small ebook, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain it for both of them. So Raising men is a, is I've had a lot of women readers. I've had readers who have don't have kids. I, I think it should be like in the personal development world rather than the parenting section of the of the the bookstore. And here's why. It's really for me. It's my story of my dad getting sick and me searching and figuring out ways to replace that with when I went to the SEAL team to do it. And then I learned how to apply those lessons to my role as a father. And it was as much about when I write it and when I read it myself, I'm filling in any of the gaps that I, I might have missed growing up as much as I am filling in the gaps or, you know, like preparing myself to raise a kid. Does that make sense? So we all had or needed somebody to hold that role in our life. Uh, and it's by no means like the de facto manual and all that, but it's a whole bunch of really good experiences that can get people started. So, uh, and one, this is crazy, but when, you know, kind of like, making lemonade out of lemons one of the positive things to my dad getting sick is i was like okay i gotta find the answers to these questions and my dad was doing a good job and he would have done a good job but all he would be able to teach me is how to live life as a man based off the time frame that he grew up in which had been fine for thousands and thousands of years except for with technology and the internet and the way our that, that shift pivoted i would say those systems are all antiquated now they don't really work anymore so in a way I didn't have what we call training scars um, from that because I had to go find my own and there was no like, oh, I want to do it the way my dad and grandpa did. 
I just had to go. I was just looking for what was effective. So that's what that book is a whole bunch about. Uh, and then Habits of Heroes, the ebook, it's like it goes like the four five mistakes men make and the four ways to fix it. It is a kind of like a little manifesto on manhood and why they're getting their asses handed to them on a day-to-day basis. And it is the beginning of the story of the book I'm writing this year. And it was it's the beginning of the strategic training groups that I do periodically with seven men at a time. And it's basically the beginning of the story. And then if people download the ebook, then they end up on my email list. And I'm going to continue sharing the story. Um, out of all my time and my life and my grand total of experiences in life, to me, it, to me, this is the answer. How do I succeed? How do I become a, a man? How do I a good father? You know, all, all of those questions, like this is how you do it. You understand what I'm talking about in the ebook, and then these are the actions you do afterwards. And you know, people will follow me on the story, or or some people will end up joining me in one of those groups. They're small, um, they cost a lot of money, so it's not for everybody. But everybody can learn from the lessons learned. And that's what that book's for. Yeah, I mean, I loved your ebook. Um, I was sitting reading it again today, and I just love the way that it's not. You know, sometimes you read these kind of military-inspired stuff, and it's it's very patriotic and it's you know it's written in a certain way but your advice was just so applicable and it made sense and you know it was actually just there wasn't the usual waffle that you get in these kind of books you actually just explained yourself in a concise way and how you could utilize the military lifestyle and method of thinking and practicing so the ebook is fantastic and i cannot recommend it enough to anybody listening um i'll put a link in to the podcast are you okay for time for a few more? Uh, yeah, I'm probably got about five more minutes right. before I actually head off to jujitsu after oh, this, that's... believe it or not. <laughs> um, Living the dream. So if we just do a couple of fast break questions, these are just I like to get to know about the guest himself, you know, because we can go in too much into some of this stuff. So if I just give you a couple prompts, you just throw back the first thing that comes into your head. So your sure. favorite film. Uh, Last Dragon. It's a karate movie from the 80s where the guy gets the glow and uh, he learns that the glow was within and I think about that with mentors that people are after in life. Like, there is nobody out there to follow. There's a whole bunch of bits and pieces to follow, but it's going to be you. You're going to have to be the mentor you need. Uh, that, coupled with, he realized, but he needed others to do it. That's what I'm, It's cheesy, I guess, but I love that movie. I think I've seen it, actually. So, who's your role model in life? Oh, actually, so keeping going right with that one, I don't have a single role model because I've never, I mean, I'm spiritual. So besides Jesus, you know, I'm that for sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking more on the, uh, I don't know, just the general population kind of conversation there is uh, I, I abandoned that. I had a, a member looking for one, talking to a very trusted friend. And he's like, Eric, you're not going to find that guy. You need to become the guy. So as as humbly as I can say this, I'm my I'm my role model. That's my work. That's my, you know what I mean. That's what it really. Man, we might have just come to oversimplifying the whole thing, but it comes down to being your own role model, and that means you got to be a pretty awesome, dude. <laughs> so get to work. And how how did you balance you know your religion with taking lives and things like that? Did you find a way to make sort of peace with it, or have you ever struggled in that sense? Um, I, I don't think I, I'm not in a situation where that ever was a, 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 a 
pull or a conflict in me. Um, you know, the, the Bible is full of lives being taken. Uh, it's you know, book, yeah. yeah, yeah, it happens. You know, I, there's somewhere along the way I was taught that, you know, that responsibility that, that really lies with the generals and, and the, the president, you know what I mean? Somebody, we are doing our work by direction. Uh, so you pray that they're inspired, right? That you pray that they're making the right choices. And, um, when you go in the military, you submit to the laws of the land and, um, yeah, yeah, that's it. And I was probably too young to worry too much about that. That'd be at this age now, it'd be a different question, probably. So you do a lot of you know sort of working now and sort of masculine stuff as people would describe it. What's a guilty pleasure you have? Yeah, when I travel, <laughs> when I travel, I'm always like, okay, I'll get a lot of work done, honey. So when I'm home, I'll take a little bit more time off and uh, be in the hotel. Like I'll get, okay, great. So I'll work at night because you guys aren't here to mess with me. You know, the kids aren't jack- jacking with my schedule <laughs> like that. And then I end up like getting a beer or two, maybe sometimes. And then I'll just sit and watch movies or HBO on the TV. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just watched four movies and went to bed for 10 hours. So I, I guess I feel guilty because I should be more productive, but Hey, my, watching movies can be productive too. Oh, no, it sounds brilliant. I mean, that's the kind of life I want. Um, when I first started this show, it was about looking at film characters from the entertainment world and, you know, looking at role models like how to be like Wolverine, Jack Bauer, you know, how to utilize their traits and make your own life better. So is there a character in a film that you've watched recently or one of your favorite films that you think would be a great role model for guys to look up to? <laughs> Oh, I'd have to think about that way more deeply. But favorite film character, as soon as you say those words, Jeff Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, come oh, out. I, I don't, you know, I, you know, I think there is something deep in there about being yourself and just loving life that everyone can learn from. Um, <laughs> you know, but he's got his issues as well, I'm sure. The red bikini scene is still one of my favorite scenes of all time. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, you got to remember those things because you're like, oh, kids, let's watch this favorite movie your dad's past. Like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that part. <laughs> How'd I forget about that? So what's an unusual fact about yourself that few people would know that you can admit to? <laughs> Ooh, um, like a good one or a bad one? Whatever you're willing to share. Huh. Yeah, you know, we were just talking about this in the, the strategic training group yesterday. I'm, we were just kind of doing intros. The group just kicked off, and I'm like, you know, what what do you not want to share with everybody? And somebody had said something. I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. I guess I don't know about unusual, but um, I think I, I could be hyper-manipulative, uh, like with my wife. And, and, and I think of the outsider listening in, they'd be like, oh, he's being funny. You're just saying some stuff. No big deal. But because I know her. I'm being very manipulative and sometimes even mean, not on purpose, but if I look back, I'm like, oh, that was a mean thing because I know I know that she'll feel a certain way. Yeah, so I hate to do a negative one, but, you know, but it's important though too. I like if you read my books or anything like that, I'm not the guy like, oh, hey, look at me. You know, I talk about like why the things that are wrong with me has helped me progress and here's the lessons learned, but that's one of those things I do. Like uh, I get manipulative and no, um, I mean it's, yeah. it's showing that self awareness that you mentioned, and that's a good thing. You know, the fact that you look and notice the what you see is the bad things, and you kind of address it or you understand it. You know, it shows that you're very self aware. Um, and what? How can people keep in touch? I mean, you're doing some amazing stuff, and I really can't thank you enough for coming and agreeing to come on and speak. Um, 
I know I've waffled and jumped around a bit, but there's so much I want to speak to you about. And for people who are listening, they're definitely going to be keen to find out more. Where can we go to find out more? You know, your social media, find out about the books and that sort of thing. Yeah, the best place is my website. I, I work to make that a hub. You know, down if they download that Habits of Hero ebook, they'll end up on my email list. Um, I work to make that valuable. Send you know, keep up with what we're doing. Valuable information. You know, I want people to want to be on there. So that's ericdavis215.com. So e r i c d a v i s two one five dot com, and that's uh, that'll always be the hub. You can find my social media from there. Any papers or anything I'm up to. Get on that. You know, download an ebook, or sometimes I'll have a general email list to sign up for. It doesn't matter. Just anytime if you enter your email for anything, you'll be inside of my world, and you'll always be up to date if i'm gonna out do a live webinar a paid one a free one or whatever's coming up that's where it's gonna come from and the 215 that was your number in seal bud trading yeah that was my buds class number there's too many damn eric davises out there so i had to go i had to amend it but now 215 starting to become a mini brand i guess so i start doing 215 everywhere i don't hopefully it makes sense well i see it everywhere so it always makes me remember you and um, yeah, well, I cannot thank you enough, Eric. I know I'm uh, being a bit weird today with my questions, but you know, I've been lo- looking forward to this for a long time, and I'm so glad you came on. Um, the floor is open to you. Is there any product that you would like to highlight? Any events? Any you know service that you would like anybody to check out? Listen. You know, of course, the book Raising Men. Uh, that's important. I mean, I want people to get a hold of that, share it, read it, give it to other people. Um, right now, my energy is on that Habits of Hero, that ebook. It'll talk about the strategic training group that I'm doing. I just launched it, um, so there's not another one open right now, but I'll be sharing lessons from the front line. And if I open another one, uh, that's how somebody would get into it. And I, ah, I don't have good words for it. The best I can say is you're, you're, what you're getting there is somebody who – Dad got sick and chased after human performance and how to live a good life and how to be successful all his life. Ran him into the SEAL teams, became a sniper instructor so I could learn more and more about performance and and getting good at things. And then since 2008, when I left the military, that's all I've been doing is helping other human beings live a good life so they could lead others to do the same. Uh, Like I can't be any more passionate about it. I live it, eat it, breathe it. And I just want to grab people by their necks and push them into it because they need it. But that's uh, (laughs) as eloquent as I can get it. Um, That's what I would have people do. Get in there and follow us, be with us. And we're going to keep doing good things and giving you the best we got. And well, you're doing a very good job of it. You know, he would be very proud. You know, um, there's so much more I'd love to talk about. So I'd love to have you on again. I cannot stop thanking you enough. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time, keep trying to hit that next level in your life.